I have come here to Krakowie, and I'm all out of bubble. Really licked his ass. Are you watching closely? Hello and welcome to Midnight Showing. I'm Nash, that's Luke, and this week, the movie we watched at midnight was Martin Scorsese's Cape Fear. Was it worth it? That's what we're here to tell you, and don't worry, we will notify you before we start spoiling. So, Luke. Set in the year of its release, Max Cady, a convicted rapist, has recently been released from prison. Spending 14 years of his life behind bars, Cady is released from prison with a grudge against his former defense attorney, who he believes didn't defend him in an honest and justifiable way. And the trailer says just that. It's two minutes and 30 seconds, so a bit on the long side as far as we've seen trailers go. But I have to say, it's probably got some of the best cinematography in a trailer I've ever seen. The cuts are nice. The music goes along perfectly with it. It might be a bit too long, but it feels exactly like how the movie makes you feel from beginning to end. Um it leaves some sections entirely out, but because it's long, you get a lot of clips of a lot of stuff. So you see a lot of things going on. Um, but I'm going to think that that's me being a bit biased because I had seen the movie a long time ago before I had seen the trailer. So I think it's probably one of the better trailers that we've ever seen. And the only reason I give it negative is because I've got that bias. So who wrote the thing, Luke? Uh, John D. McDonald wrote the novel Cape Fear, and then this um, adapted screenplay was written by Wesley Strict, and he wrote Doom with Carl Urban and The Rock. Not going to lie, that's my biased bad movie. I loved that movie when I was a kid, the first person scene at the end. So, Oh, the, oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that, that, that's my bias. Like as, as a kid, I loved Doom with The Rock. <laughs> that is absolutely hilarious. That That is probably one of the most recognizable movie video game scenes ever um who's directing it you might ask uh this guy martin charles scores a c or something like that i don't know um if you don't know you're probably lying to yourself um but he does have an incredibly long filmography he's made a ton of films most of them are revered as being incredible so it's pretty understandable that not every single one that he makes is well known by a lot of people obviously a lot of his films are very popular this one is pretty popular but i don't think when you say his name this is one of the first ones that popped to his mind like definitely goodfellas and taxi driver are right mm -hmm. yeah no I, I would agree with that i was surprised when i found out that it was a scorsese film because i didn't know that when i decided to do it for the show yeah, so it's not necessarily that this film is unknown. It's just a little bit buried behind one of the legendary directors of our time. Um, yeah, I think that's that's all I got, Luke. Well, Who's we, in this movie? We got legendary directors and we got legendary actors. We have Robert De Niro playing Max Cady. 
Uh, we'll get to him. Uh, we got <laughs> we got Nick Nolte playing Sam Bowden, Jessica Lang playing Leigh Bowman, and Juliette Lewis playing Danielle Bowman. Uh, then we also have Joe Don Baker playing Claude Kersek. Those are the pretty much the bulk of the characters that we really hang out with. But then I also threw on Robert Mitchum playing Lieutenant Elgert and Gregory Peck playing Lee Heller because they were in the original Cape Fear from the 1950s, Nash. Isn't it cool when they do those little Easter eggs? Yeah, that is really cool. And this one was pretty tasteful. It's, it's kind of like probably the best one that everybody knows. is like the Starsky and Hutch remake. It's like when the original Starsky and Hutch are in it, it's like it's it's a funny homage, but I wouldn't call it like a classy one. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, it's yeah, yeah. very blatant what it is. So even if you don't know who those guys are, you know who they are. But in this one, it's it's very well done. They're both playing different roles. Um, the theme we got is... Uh, this one wasn't too tricky, but we, we've settled on defining justice and equality because those were kind of what seemed to us to be Max Cady's biggest points. And his character is very interesting. But before we get too much into that, Luke, we got to give it a thumbs up or down. So what are we feeling? Easy thumbs up, dude. Easy thumbs yeah, up. That's a, that's a very easy thumbs up. Yeah. Um, and uh, now this. Spoiler alert. You know, Nash, can, can I can I start it off by saying this movie is a huge advocate for for the Six Inside movement, dude. <laughs> this entire movie, there, dude. Just this movie makes me want to smoke a cigarette. If I'm going to be completely honest with you, and I don't even smoke cigarettes. He's just smoking that fat stogie the minute we see him, and then everybody who doesn't have a smoking habit or used to suddenly develops it even more aggressively. <laughs> I guess it was before that whole nicotine is bad thing kind of hit the hit the mainstream. But let's start where we probably always should. The title. Yes. Cape Fear. Mm -hmm. Weird sound for a cape. Weird name for a cape. <laughs> Could I read to you the first lines of the movie, Nash? Oh, 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 please do. <laughs> My reminiscence. I always thought that for such a lovely river, the name was mystifying. Cape Fear, when the only thing to fear on those enchanted summer nights was that the magic would end and real life would come crashing in. And a little spoiler alert for you, I would call Max Cady real life in this movie. <laughs> and he comes crashing down hard. That's an understatement. Yeah, a lot of crashing in that scene. And that's sort of it's kind of where where it all ends, right? Because they don't it, the majority of the movie doesn't actually take place in Cape Fear. And that's where the conclusion is. And in fact, there's almost no emphasis on Cape Fear itself until they're already floating down the river, right? Yeah, exactly. Which I think is pretty interesting because we certainly see them afraid. Like the Bowden family, certainly they all have growing fears continuously. I guess it's just that. That on the river is really the epitome of it all. It's everything coming down to that one point. Well, man, you know, I would I would take it beyond just them being afraid. I would take it to the point of where it feels as though fear is really controlling what the entire Bowden family does for almost this entire movie. It's almost like it's almost like Cape Fear is is lurking behind the Bowden family the entire time. And then it finally mm. manifests when the last option they have is to just run away. I think that's a really good point, because there is something I want to get into later about Max Caddy's 
character, how he compared to all the other characters, his is a bit more unique. And I think that it that what you mentioned, that sort of it's like you feel that looming presence that they're going to get there. I think that plays very well into his character. But since we brought up the Bowden family first, let's dive right into him. Um, your thoughts on the dynamic of the family, Luke? Well, let's let's start with, with Nick Nolte because Sam Bowden is obviously the uh, kind of big player of the family. Um, yeah. And, you know, kind of just him being a lawyer is really, I feel like, embodying the the dual personalities of this movie, if, if you will. Robert De Niro is obviously playing an extremely evil and tormented character and you have Nick Nolte on the other side and um, what I found when I was researching the movie was that they made a conscious choice to make Nick Nolte's character a lot more flawed because from the 1950s Cape Fear version the family was a lot more like To Kill a Mockingbird you know um, Atticus Finch isn't that his name is that his name yeah oh all my English teachers would be so proud of me right now but um, (laughs) from from what I saw it it was also uh, Gregory Peck is also Atticus Finch in the Kill a Mockingbird Uh, movie but they kind of wanted to give nick nolte a lot of flaws in his character um as a way to kind of juxtapose it with everything that max katie is talking about and i feel like the flawed nature of him transcends through his family not only through the actions that he takes but the way that all of them interact with each other and talk it's it's pretty clear that their daughter um it's like it's their only child she's really fed up with a lot of stuff and it almost feels like they're not even like too much of a family, you know, and that's like that's yeah, that's a hard thing to say about people. But it really does feel like there's a lot missing from the love of this family. And as the story continues, we find out that there's been some cheating going on. He's a promiscuous person with the girl yeah. he's playing racquetball with and everything. And so when it comes to the dynamic of the family, I found it really interesting that like everyone in this movie is flawed, you know? And obviously it's two different um, circumstances and different extremes comparing people, but at the end of the day, none of these characters are 100% one way or 100% another way. Yeah, it does such a good job of making them feel human. Like, I, I would say, of all the movies we watched, these are probably some of the most believable, some of the most relatable, some of the most just human characters that we've ever seen because like you said their flaws aren't like oh he's clearly a bad guy it's like really if you want to say he's a bad guy or not it comes down to was he justified in not defending max caddy as much but his other stuff like the cheating mm-hmm. like clearly that's been an issue between him and his wife but we know as an audience member that he's never actually slept with his assistant with uh I'm, I'm not sure what her occupation was but they both worked in the law area field that's how we knew her yeah yeah i, I think she was like studying or, or interning or something like that we know that she hasn't like they haven't slept together right and he even says in the beginning after we meet her that he wants to sort of cut it off mm-hmm. so it's like we understand that okay he's trying not to be a bad guy. He knows what he's doing is wrong. He's trying to correct it. That I think is incredibly unique because in every other movie you see, if there's even a slight hint that the person is cheating, they are cheating hundred yeah. percent every single time. And so that is, was really cool to me because you can tell that, all right, this character is developing. We are currently seeing him develop 
with that tiny piece of exposition we got. And he comes off as a very selfish person as well. Um, not only in the way that Nash just discussed, but also kind of when we um, look at like his career as a law person overall. So if we want to kind of get into the whole dispute between him and Katie is that he didn't um, defend Katie in the ultimate way. And then um, when he's asked about it, he says, that's why I quit that side of law. I felt like you couldn't oh, yeah. do your job well like that. That's not what justice was, but that's only to him. That's the way that he perceives the law and the way that he wants to do it. Almost like, well, other people shouldn't do it, but it's okay if I do it. And it's like, yeah, even, no, I, even, I, even oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Just to finish really quick. Even within that, it's like, Okay, but Max Katie like like raped and brutalized a girl. Uh, did he make the right choice? I don't even know. Yeah, we never get the full details on if that was even justified for what he did. It's sort of left that choice is left to the audience. But I think you make an incredible point with bringing up what he says that because to me, looking back on it now, first time I saw it, I kind of all right. I agree. Defense attorneys. You know, the, the public defenders, they aren't really paid very well. It's very hard to do the, their job, especially if somebody else's attorney is, you know, a very expensive, very good lawyer. It's hard for them to do their job properly because they don't have access to all those resources. But looking back on it now, I feel like look how much he's benefited from not being a public attorney, like mm. a public defender. He's yeah. got a massive house. You know, like that. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, true. Yeah, he, yeah. He clearly has benefited more from not being that public defender. So it, it, to me, it kind of almost feels like he's justifying it to himself. Mm, that's that's a really good point. And it's that 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 justification to himself is flawed within itself. And so this is for sure a character driven movie over anything else. The plot almost kind of takes a backseat and we're more of just looking at these characters and to kind of tap upon Max Katie in this movie, because we are going to get into a pretty hardcore, um, you know, he really raises the question of like, yeah, I did something absolutely terrible, but what gives you the justification to judge me in that way in our society, specifically if you're going to be a lawyer, you know, because like, yeah, obviously Max Cady deserves to be in prison for his entire life, if not given the death sentence, now knowing the person that he was and the things we saw him do in this movie. But if you look at it from his perspective, the perspective of a person who would feel that way, who would have so much internal torment and whatnot, like... Yeah, yeah, because he's on on display so much in this movie, you have to think about it from his perspective because they make you. And that's one of the reasons this is such a really, really amazing movie is that it's not just some psychopath serial killer. It's not just yeah. it's not just the evil guy with the chainsaw. Like we're shown who Max Katie is. And although we can never really consciously be on his side based on the person he is, they give us a good understanding of why he is this way and it doesn't justify anything in the movie but it really kind of makes you think about the different ways you can come at a situation and how ambiguous um yeah. <laughs> it can be how how ambiguous justice can be you know you know what i'm getting at homie no that's a really good point especially the fact that how you can approach those different situations he psychologically torments everybody differently in that movie like clearly it's all centered around destabilizing um nick 
Nick Nolte, Sam Bowden. Um, mm-hmm. But the way he plays on the wife, he goes after the dog, and we see Nick Nolte slowly. He tries to remain in charge, in control, like very matter of fact with his family. But we see that fear still presence, and it grows on him as it grows on the other members of the family. Uh-huh. After the dog dies, the wife gets more hysterical. I don't like to use that word on women because you know it, it, historically it's been used pretty negatively um and when they have that argument about his affair it's like we as the audience member know he really hasn't done anything wrong but we also know she isn't wrong either yeah exactly. uh, so that, that's a big conflict like yeah these human flaws are still present because they're people of course they are and then his daughter i thought was a pretty interesting one just because it seems like classic like teenager difficulties where you just want somebody to like sort of treat you like an adult you want somebody to understand and respect you and sort of max abuses that longing for companionship or loyalty from somebody else and that really psychologically gets to her too and that affects uh sam bowden probably in the most way where you know he like doesn't hit her, but he like grabs her. He puts yeah. his you know hand over her mouth. Like he, it's very aggressive behavior towards his daughter, just because we can see how afraid he is and how much he wants this to go away. And that oh my gosh, as characters, we see that development happen so well between them as they all start to learn new bits of information. Like in the beginning, it's really good. Or Sam Bowden, oh, he just describes it as assault and battery. Mm-hmm. And then he says he raped another girl. And then his wife is like, rape? I thought it was battery. And so like, yeah. it's like, whoa, mm-hmm. All right, everybody's figuring stuff out differently. And now they're going to react differently. Well, the, you know, let's, let's take the first time that Max Katie walks into the movie theater and sees his family. Um, if you remember, the daughter said, Dad, you should have popped him, you know, as as and at the beginning of the movie, we don't know if Nick Nolte can actually defend himself in that way. And it's it's pretty clear that Max Katie obviously has the upper hand in anything physical going on as the guy literally feels no pain. He's a masochist, apparently. That was gnarly. Mm-hmm. Um but the point I'm getting at is that that's that ex- escalation where it starts out. We don't understand the full recourse of what Nick Nolte's decision to bury all of that evidence has until it starts slowly playing it out, man. And, you know, I think a good point that I want to make is that if you look at our past three reviews, I'd say Band of the Hand, Event Horizon and Kings of King of New York for all those movies, we were like, we just want there to be more here. We want it to kind of take its time a little bit. We want the plot to be able to breathe and like give us these moments. And this movie clocking in at like two hours and seven minutes, I think is perfect. I think that's the perfect yeah. amount of time for a movie like this mm-hmm. because we were given such phenomenal escalation to who Max Katie was and how he feels about all these ways and the family at the same time just kind of all crashing together into this just I don't say this lightly man one of the most if not the most intense movies I've seen in my entire life and I mean like talking Rob Zombie type movies like horror type movies like you can cut <laughs> the air in this movie with a knife the entire time. That's why I made that joke about smoking cigarettes, dude, because literally every character is just smoking because they're so on edge because you just don't know when he's going to pop out of nowhere, dude. Yeah, it plays perfectly with the time that it has. And for me, it feels perfect as well. It 
gives you enough enough time to see the characters and actually feel like you know them and to see them change, which is the biggest thing for us, or I, I know for me, we bring it up a lot because it's very important to me. It's it show it's a it's the marker for good writing is when you see a character develop. And to find that change in such a believable way, because that's what that time does, too. It doesn't make it feel rushed. It doesn't feel like wasted scenes. It feels like every piece of the puzzle is there and fits in perfectly. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's it's perfect screen time management. You didn't waste a single second of my time. You built towards something and built towards something. And even that original point we made about how they're not on the boat until the very end. It's because a lot happens before they get there, dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. And even even the characters that aren't the leads, like uh, the uh, private investigator that was the guy from GoldenEye, he, a uh, guy in GoldenEye, he, like his character too, we feel like we know who he is from those snippets of scenes. We see him on the phone and what is he doing? He's pouring some whiskey and Pepto-Bismol and then that's, you know, his demise um. is when he's actually explaining it. Like, that's so cool. Oh, <laughs> here's my character. <laughs> I, for, I, I, I was going to ask you if, if you had your drink ready for, for the review and you're going to ask me what drink and I was going to ask about your whiskey and Pepto because I know that's your favorite, your favorite summertime gin, you know? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Everybody, everybody loves to come over and I make my special Jim Bean Pepto coffee. <laughs> Cocktails. <laughs> we have the tiny umbrellas. I can't even imagine drinking that. Yeah, I know. But, <laughs> but that, that's those little details. How he talks to the police chief about him. All those interactions, all those characters seem so real. They seem so unique. They don't seem like one-dimensional throwaways, like what happened with King of New York with a lot of the characters that you could classify as leads Yeah, that had a lot of screen time. It's like you want to know more about them. And I do in this movie. You know, every, you know everything about it. And so let's uh, – Let's let's try to uncrack the egg that is Max Cady since since we're we're, we're kind of getting, oh, getting to that point naturally, man. So like you as being an, an English major, a man of the theater who knows good acting <laughs> and good characters. What's give me give me your quick summarization of who you think Max Cady is in this movie. You know what I mean? And I, I know that's that's a bit of a loaded question, but just kind of lay, lay the groundwork for like in terms of acting and writing where you think he lies. Well, the, the big thing that I do, especially just with English background is a big thing is you try to notice all of the consistencies when you read something or when you are viewing something. So that way, when you see the inconsistencies, you know that they're important. Mm -hmm. And with all the characters, we get the majority of their character isn't defined by exposition. It's we see the change happening in the movie. Max Caddy is the only character that doesn't change his entire character. All of his character development is comes from exposition that we hear about him. We hear he can't read, but we never see him in a state where he can't read. In fact, we're first introduced to him where it looks like he's incredibly well read. Mm -hmm. So that to me stands out. And then it's other things, too, because he doesn't seem to have flaws the way the other characters do. And by flaws, I mean failures. His plans 
always work. It always seems planned out for him because he always seems absolutely prepared for the situation, even if we sort of know there's no way he could have planned that. So with those factors, I see his character in a very intre- in a very different way to most where he is sort of more than a character, but like a natural force mm. because he isn't defined by the actions that we see because those don't change if that sort of makes sense like we sort of know he's going to get them to that point he is like the most unbelievable character in the movie because his flaws he openly admits he sort of knows that he's bad he likes telling us that he's wrong but he's also prepared to meet his maker Mm, yeah and so would you, you you would define define his character as being the force to push other characters to change a good character changes and instead of max katie being a person that changes he himself is the change and how does he do that yeah. through fear and intimidation in a movie called cape fear dude and you know i think a good juxt- another juxtaposition to make between nick nolte and max katie are the loopholes within the law that have got Max Cady to this position, maybe not specifically a loophole, but the idea that a public defender can hide this information from you and not do his civic duty towards you. And it's like you're going to push you're going to push Max Cady into the corner, into the four by 14 by nine cell or, or whatever he said. He's going to push back on you and he's going to push your good guys into a corner and make you do mental gymnastics over just trying to kill the guy. You know what I mean? That was another crazy thing that I found in the the motivations of the characters was that Nick Nolte wasn't even tripping about protecting his family. He was tripping about killing a person, whether it's Max Cady or not, whether they've hurt his family or not. It was the actual implication and act of stopping a person's life. Yeah. And we see that sort of ultimate irony where – he plays the system on a lawyer and that's kind of, that's the moral confusion that the story gives us. Cause it's like, okay, we're go- we all viewing the movie. It's like, all right, Max Katie probably deserved that. Right. As far as we know, he deserved that. So we think he's a bad guy because you know, he raped her. Yes. That woman might've been promiscuous, but that doesn't mean he should have done what he did to her. Right. But that could have helped his case. But it's it's weird because, yes, that could have helped him, but morally he shouldn't have. But it's his duty legally to have done that. Exactly, dude. So you can't even blame Nick Nolte for the things that happened in this movie. Like he really got pushed into a terrible corner. And, you know, when he's saying if 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 you saw her, you would have done the same thing. I believe that when he when he says that and when you know who Max Katie is and like. That's Mm -hmm. such a hard, hard thing to deal with, dude. That's metal as fuck, if you will. So, so like, I don't even, I don't even hold, I, I made the point earlier just to kind of give you an idea of how Cape Fear wants to give you the perspective of the bad guy when they are unredeemable. But even when you look at it from the perspective of Nick Nolte, you can't even say that he was wrong. I think I agree with Nick Nolte's decision and look where it got him. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's really the tough factor is that he took the moral high ground in this one instance, but the harsh reality of the law sort of goes against it. Max Cady's uh, literal interpretation of it, he's not wrong, but he's morally wrong, even though he sort of claims to be this force of justice and revenge. It's more revenge than anything. It's the rather it's rather than justice, like from the actual word that we use. It's literally how our legal system says this is justice. You know, that is really crazy to wrap your head around. How do you do you want to kind of start to transition into the religious aspects of this movie, specifically within his character? Because I'm finding that hearing the things you're saying about that justice only really making sense within the legal system. It's almost like Max Cady is taking on the form of a divine being striking down, you know, like, like Max Katie wants to be God and he's going to test your faith. And they even bring up the story. I forget what the um, details of it are, but the one where um, God talks to him and then makes him kill his son. Um, Abraham, Abraham. Yeah. Yeah. He, he makes that moral connection and it's like Max Katie wants to be that godly force that punishes him for having the mistaken sense of justice almost. Yeah, so it's that story. The The big thing is, you know, you're supposed to in the end, if you follow what God says, everything is going to be right because he tells him to kill his son right as his, right as he's about to. God tells him to stop. Don't do it. I was just seeing how faithful you were to me. And so that's sort of his whole point where, yes, it might be morally wrong what you're doing, but it is right because it's the literal word. And so that that's a very complex thing. And to breach into his character a little bit more um, on the religious side, he 100 percent has this devil or sort of grim reaper complex where he thinks that he is a force of nature himself. And one thing that's also important to do um, or that I did a lot with just reading and stuff is looking at a character and being able to define their agency that's how much of an impact a character has on changing events and that's typically how you identify a protagonist the protagonist is the one that can make the biggest change and so that's why they're their protagonist and that's why you want to listen to them and follow them throughout the story you know frodo can destroy the ring Nobody else really can. Yeah, I love Star Wars, bro. (laughs) That's his agency. But if you look at this, Max Cady honestly has the most agency out of all of them. He is the one that's changing the most things. Everything that uh, Sam Broden tries to do fails. It doesn't work. Cady ends up actually changing things in his favor, which I thought is really important to saying that his character isn't just a normal character. He is sort of the force acting upon everybody. So he's more than a character. So how would you relate that to the ex machina type ending of how it turns out to be a storm that really ends up being his downfall in the end? Oh yeah. Okay. That's a good thing too. That's a good thing to bring up um, because we get a very and it's very easy to dive deep into biblical stuff just because the Bible's huge there's a lot of stuff they talk about in that but 
sort of the most one of the more obvious ones to me is that at the end when they're beating each other like rocks that's attributed to sort of the story of Cain and Abel the first murder it's you know he they they killed him with a rock so because it's like of course you know you don't have weapons so to speak so you pick up whatever's around and bash their head in so them watching them both hit each other with a rock was really interesting because it's like okay who who's Cain and who's Abel who's right and who's wrong in this instance right now and right as we're about to see Sam Broden kill him with the rock the the flood washes him away yeah which the flood is also pretty important in the Bible. It washed away essentially all the sinners. Oh, so we've got some pretty heavy religious overtones, especially with the fact that, you know, Max uh, is covered in, you know, tattoos that are quoting the Bible. Um, he's got like the Bible and that knife over like the scales on his back. He gets Anakin at the end. Yeah, and that's pretty important. And it's even more crazy and why his character is kind of confusing to me is at that very end where we see him dying, it sounds like he's speaking in tongues for a little bit of it. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then we and then we hear him singing about being ready to go to the maker. That to me was it, it's it seems complex to me. It's hard to analyze almost because, again, there's just so much leading up to that and so many existential factors, dude. And even they wouldn't have got off the boat. He was about to make them take their clothes off and kill them, dude. And then we get yeah. hit, hit with a wave and he flies. And so it's 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 inter- it's interesting to me because Max Katie was playing such a quote-unquote divine character in the way he was thinking, the way he was um, – getting his revenge to eventually almost be thwarted by those same forces in theory. There's, there's, there's gotta be some circle here. There's, there's gotta be some loop on like Max Katie's character of like falling and coming back. It's, 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 it's really insane. And like I said, it, Cape fear goes way beyond just having a crazy bad guy. It really does. I do. And I think it, it harkens back to that, that, notion of sort of what is like equal compensation for what happened to him because he makes a really good point very interesting point when uh it was the day after he first met him or the day after sam first met him when he's driving up in the car and he's like you know okay you give me fifty thousand dollars that's not even minimum wage over 10 years Mm -hmm. so that is a very good argument like what what does this money actually mean in terms of like really giving me sort of redeeming yourself from what you did like like thinking in terms like that it's not really fair he wants to put the loss on an equal playing field and for me i feel like him having max do that to sam's family isn't on the same level and that's why it doesn't work it's not on the same level of equality and I think that's important to note because Sam Broden isn't the one who kills him. Sam Broden has almost no agency in the entire movie. He really doesn't stop him at all. Yeah, well, he only makes it f- worse for worse for himself, dude. He becomes a yeah. uh, fugitive. 
until the very end. And what kills Max is the flood. It's not. He lot. Yeah, he he handcuffed him to the, the railing, but it's the flood that gets rid of him. He he didn't kill him with the rock. It's like fate. It's it feels like a hand of fate mm. moment where okay, yeah, he just gets washed away right before he is about to drop it on him. And dude, the way the way he's he's staring at him as he descends into the water, dude, like very, very intimidating. I had nightmares on I'm just gonna tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> so another really key point I wanna ask you about the end. Is what um what what uh, I, f- I thought I was about to say the actress's name, what's her name? Oh no, Danielle. Uh, w- w- in the final kind of uh, monologue that Danielle has, she says, "We never spoke about what happened. Things were different, but we never talked about it because that would let him back into our lives." Do you feel like Max Cady succeeded in any way in this movie? We're saying that everything, his whole plan pretty much went according to um, up, yeah. in, up, up until the flood. Do you think his idea of justice and testing what's important to Nick Nolte and all that stuff really came through in the end? Because although the family says they're affected by it, she says we never talked about it again. And I feel like the whole point of his plan was that they were going to talk about it again and they were never going to be the same. So at the end of the day, even with all of this, uh, I, I don't I don't, I don't like the word divine because he's a piece of shit and I don't want to play him like he's a <laughs> god or anything. But that's kind of the yeah. person he's trying to be. Like, how do you feel about him acting that way, having this existential plan to ruin Nick Nolte's entire existence and then – she says, well, we never really talked about it. I, you know, that's something I didn't even think about, um, but a, a very excellent point, because thinking about it now, it feels like he did succeed, but it's more like he really wasn't the one doing it because he had too much success. You know what I mean? Things worked out too well for him to work, and then his plan that he wanted to happen his final plan went totally wrong. So to me, it honestly has an even heavier religious overtone where, yeah, Sam Broden got really, he got what his, he deserved. Mm -hmm. It wasn't equal punishment for him to lose his family the way Max Caddy wanted to. It was equal punishment though, for him to experience Max Caddy the way he did. Mm. So I think I, yeah, I think I would agree with that point that he did get, in the end, he he sort of did win. I th- it's the the underlying motive. It's the underlying motivation of Max Katie putting him through a test, you know. And it's the lit- yeah. it's the literal word test because he wasn't just terrorizing them. He wasn't just committing terrible acts to do it. He was putting Sam Bode and Nick Nolte through a test and. I don't know, that, dude. It's it's up in the air. It's it's really up in the air. The test just seems too of like of all the believable characters, Max is sort of the least believable because of how much success he has. And I mean, just him as a person, like he doesn't feel pain. Like that's a very unique trait. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That definitely plays into his favor. And it seems to be like hereditary based around religion where he mentions that his father or his grandfather used to handle rattlesnakes um, in that church. I forget what that type of church is called, but it is a real thing. And that to me, it's like, 
thinking about it now, it really is even better than I thought because you've got that overtone when with all the believable characters coming, you almost forget that Max Caddy is sort of that unbelievable figure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my my yeah. head hurts. I'm glad we talked about and it. Like, yeah, dude, I don't know. It was just, it was so, it was so intense. He was such an intense personality, an intense character doing intense things. The, that movie like really had me on the edge of my seat the entire time. And that's not, it's not easy to create fear in such a cinematic way, I guess. Like a movie called Cape Fear. Fear is like one of the undertones, like, it's masterfully created within this movie. Masterful. And I suggest not everybody to see this movie because, you know, there's definitely some trigger warnings, definitely some stuff going on here that is not pleasant by any means. But if you're a fan of film, you're a fan of Robert De Niro, you're a fan of this kind of story, it's got to be on your list. It just has to be. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And to sum up Cape Fear, well, uh, it was made by one of the most legendary directors in his element of crime thrillers that really, truly just ends up being a masterclass film because you've got outstanding cast, intriguing plot, utterly unique dialogue, character development like no other. And its approach is cool, too, because it doesn't have you rooting for the bad guy, but the more you watch the movie, you are really rooting less for the family by the time the plot reaches its conclusion. And, and you're, you're like, not oh, rooting, wait. You're not rooting for anybody. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, wait, no, I don't want that to happen. <laughs> and the theme slowly removes that polish surrounding the family. It brings their human faults to the forefront. And Max Caddy plays with them psych- psychologically to a T to instill the max amount of fear in them. It's genuine homage to the uh, homage to the cast of the former film and the respectful Easter eggs to those uh, who knew the original are really outstanding. Um, Although this movie is intense and disturbing at times, these dramatic actions are placed appropriately without feeling like they're just there to keep you interested in it. Um, The overall timing of the film makes it interesting and suspenseful without feeling rushed or having wasted any screen time. It's a solid movie that sadly kills the dog in the end, but I think it plays well with all adult audiences. Not a wine night with your girlfriend movie. Anytime they kill the dog, you're going to have to watch that one alone. (laughs) Watch that one with the bros, everybody. Um, So, Luke, if you don't have any... uh, any other statements? Uh, I think this is one of those movies where if you and I re-recorded this conversation, we could talk for another 40 minutes about completely different stuff. I, I can't encompass how phenomenal of a movie this is in my words. You really just got to just got to do it. You just, just got to yeah. watch it. You just got to watch it, honestly. Uh, and I will say, I think we are probably done with our notes at about 20 minutes into the review. And we had even more material just to talk about just from the things that we brought up to each other. Yeah. It's, so it, de- it yeah. definitely is an incredible movie. Um, but we want to thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, message us, message us at ambiguous podcast solutions at midnight showing podcast on Instagram or email midnight showing with Luke and Nash at gmail.com to stay in the loop for upcoming episodes and offer suggestions for the movies we watch and future content we can bring to you. 
Uh, be sure to check us out at ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. That's where that clip goes. And uh, next week's episode features the 1981 sci-fi thriller Scanners. And remember, your donations keep our blue lights on. You can't smoke grass in school. 